God that as God, he had powers to, to break the chain of canceled sin. And as man, he had the right to bring us back to God. We thank you that this one, this Jesus was truly man, had true fears, had, had real fears and, and weaknesses as we do. And yet he lived without sin. We thank you, O God, that he did this by faith through the power of the Spirit. And so do we. And we look to Jesus, O God, who is more beautiful, who is the truly beautiful one. And we ask that you would open our eyes to him this morning, that we may see the beauty of our great Christ, the one who made all things by the word of his power, who spoke all of this into existence. We pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to believe him. And we pray, oh God, that you would not do that just for us. We thank you that in your providence and in your kindness, you have given us co-laborers here in this city that, that are preaching the gospel faithfully. We pray that you would help them do it boldly. We pray for Valley Spring Church and Pastor Mike, God, would you give them grace this morning as the word is unfolded and the gospel is displayed? Would you change the hearts of your people into looking more like your son? We pray for Suburban Church. We pray for Mike King. We pray that uh, he would be faithful to preach the gospel. And as the scriptures are read and the songs are sung and the gospels proclaimed, that you would glorify yourself. And non-Christians would look on at Suburban Church and see that God must really love these people. We pray for Grand Avenue Baptists and we pray for Brian. We ask that you would help him to preach your word faithfully with conviction and boldness and that your people would be built up to go out. God, we pray for our dear brothers and sisters at Calvin Presbyterian. We pray for Zach Washburn that you would give him unction with your word to draw people's attention to Christ. And we thank you that this partnership goes on right up the Willamette Valley into Portland and Vancouver. We thank you for the Northwest Church Network that we are a part of, that you have providentially allowed us to be in partnership with. God, we thank you for churches in Portland and Vancouver, churches like Trinity Church with Thomas Terry. We pray that you would give them great grace as they behold you in your word this morning. We pray that Henson Baptist Church and the elders there and, and Michael Lawrence would, would be... Uh, drawing attention to Jesus so, so that your people uh, might know you. And we pray for Redemption Church, this new church in North Portland, and for Virgil Brown as their pastor. We ask that you would help them as they plant in this new place in North Portland, that the gospel would go out. It would sustain those people there, and, and it would bring more people in. That's what you want. That's what we want to see. We pray that you would do that. We pray not only for our own city and state, even our own country. We, we pray for the world, God. We pray for our brothers and sisters in every continent. We especially think, uh, Father, of our brothers and sisters in China and the, the suffering that they are enduring as they even have Christian literature and Bibles taken from them. They experience raids and suffering for the name of Christ, would you help them identify with Christ in the way he has identified with them, with us? Would you give them strength? Would you help them to look to Jesus? God, and even those who have denied him, would you bring them back to yourself like you restored Peter, like you've restored us time and again? We pray for righteous government to be ruling there. God, we thank you for our own leaders in this country. You have told us in your word to be praying for our leaders, for kings and for rulers and for governors, make, making supplication for them and praise. And so we do give you thanks for our president and vice president. We, we pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris. We ask that you would help them to govern in a way that pleases you. Because if it pleases you, it will be good for us. 
God, we pray for our own Governor Brown, and we ask that you, you would help her, too, to govern in a way that is uh, good for the citizens of, of this state. And we ask that uh, your righteousness would be upheld. And Father, we pray for all of these things, and we come back to our gathering this morning. We know that you are the ultimate governor of all things. You're even governing this gathering. You're, you have even governed in the way that you have brought Logan Hawley to, to repent of his sins and turn to you, Christ Jesus. Who, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Nobody. And we thank you, God, that, that you have taken this dear brother from the kingdom of darkness and placed him in the kingdom of your dear son. And we praise you that we get a witness baptism. And I pray that as the gospel is visualized, that it would hit all of our senses. And we remember at the time that the waters dripped off us, reminding us that all of our sins were washed away. We pray that we would, we would be like the sinner who, who, who looks at you and finds salvation. Oh, great Christ, we pray that you would help us behold you in your word through your spirit. Let us behold you as our only hope. Let us not be afraid to look at our sins and confess them as they are, but look to Jesus for who he is and what he has done. We pray that you do all of these things for your great glory. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and our Redeemer, and our great sacrifice. Amen. Good morning. My name is Doug Payne. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to see you here this morning. Um, I do. I welcome you to, to stay around and get to know people in this church. Uh, the, the best information you can get is from the members of this church. So I encourage you to hang out, talk to people, uh, and, and talk about what the, what the Lord is up to. Uh, as I prayed this morning, we are going to have a, uh, uh, in just a few moments, we're going to have a baptism. Uh, it's, it's one of the special ordinances God has given his church to, uh, to, re- to remind us that the gospel, of the gospel uh, through visual means. When one is baptized into the, to the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are, they are, they are, recreating, not recreating, that's the wrong word. They, they are helping us remember that something has happened on the inside. And this, this, visual, this visual representation now on the outside reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That because of that, because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, that our sins can be forgiven. And we get to experience that this morning. One of the things baptism does... Uh, is it allows someone, uh, is going to be Logan Hawley this morning, allows someone to identify publicly with Jesus Christ. So Logan will give his testimony in, in, a, few, in a few short minutes. Uh, he, he, will, he will remind us how he came to know Christ and tell some of us for the first time. Uh, but it's not only our identification with God when we get baptized. Did you know God actually identifies with us? He he puts his name on us, as it were, when we baptize. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's a public identification. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You know, Jesus actually uh, identified with his people when he came to earth. One of the first things we see in the book of Mark, if you've been with us for a while, one of the first things you see Jesus doing in his ministry is what? Getting baptized. He steps into the waters of baptism, though he did not need forgiveness of sins. He stepped in the waters of baptism to identify with his people, saying that he would forgive them of their sins by entering into this death, burial, and resurrection. Our great Christ identified with his people. And if you've truly repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, he's identified with you. But as we know, even though uh, Jesus Christ identified with us all the way to death, even death on a cross, 
we don't always identify with him, do we? We, we don't always go through the pains that, that uh, identification with Jesus means. We, you know, sometimes we're afraid to be identified as a Christian. Sometimes we remain silent when we shouldn't. Sometimes we, we deny him. It was uh, Thomas Cranmer was a bishop in the Church of England. He was the archbishop. Henry VIII made him the archbishop of the Church of England the, the, uh, in the 1500s. Partly because he helped uh, him get rid of his uh, unwanted wife, Catherine of Aragorn. Uh, uh, but, but partly because, uh, also because he, he was a very spiritual and godly man. So Thomas Cranmer became the bishop of, of the Church of England. He, maybe you've heard of him, he wrote the Book of Common Prayer. It's one of the finest pieces of literature in the English languages, in the English language. And uh, Thomas Cranmer wrote, uh, essentially he wrote services for, for people to, uh, the, the uneducated clergy to be able to go through. And he wrote them in such a way that it, it drew attention to the, his Protestant faith. Uh, he, he was a great intellect. He, he helped the church uh, become more Protestant, become more of a church that believed in justification by faith alone. But he, he, wasn't, he, wasn't, uh, he was a reformer of the church. He wasn't, a, uh, he wasn't a Puritan. He didn't leave the church. He wanted to stay in the church and reform it from the inside. And Thomas Cranmer, uh, after Henry VIII died and then, and then Henry's son, Edward, he's sick and died uh, during his kingship. Uh, Lady Jane Grey, who also was uh, a ruler in England after uh, Henry VIII and, and Edward, they all died and passed away. And here comes Mary, Bloody Mary. Uh, and, and Bloody Mary was the daughter of Catherine of Aragorn, who was Catholic, Catholic to uh, died in the wool kind of Catholic. And, and Mary didn't like Thomas Cranmer. And she didn't like the Book of Common Prayer. And she was trying to get Catholicism back to be the religion of the Church of England. And so what she did was she was arrested Thomas Cranmer and put him in prison for three years, being uh, day after day for three years, was, was being told to recant his faith by Roman apologists. And after a time being worn down time and time again, Thomas Cranmer finally recanted. He recanted the Protestant faith and said that what he wrote was a mistake and that he would recant it all. Thomas Cranmer failed to identify with Jesus Christ in his suffering. Thomas Cranmer shares some similarities with Peter, the apostle. And if we're honest, we're more like Peter and Cranmer than we are like Jesus. And I wonder if you have felt that way in your life. The, the sins that you have committed, the, the blasphemies that you've committed, the, the times that you've denied your very Lord. And you've wondered, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for forgiveness of sins? Is there any hope for a blasphemer, for a denier? I want you to turn to Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 53. Mark 14, 53. Hear, hear God's holy word. And they led Jesus. This is the people Judas turned Jesus over to. The crowd with with clubs and swords, and led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, 
We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build it another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus, Jesus, who is God, identifies as God to the high priests. He who is God identifies with his people. Jesus, who is God and identifies as God, is the identification that his people needs. He identifies with his people in their, in their weakness, in their, in, in, in their, in their failings. He, he, is their great high priest. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're just going to look at it for, through two headings, finding your hope in Jesus, finding yourself in Peter. Find your hope in Jesus and finding yourself in Peter. And we're, hopefully we'll end with gospel hope. Finding your hope in Jesus, uh, verses 55 through 65. We, we see Mark lays out for us right away. You know, Peter had just cut off the ear of the high priest with the sword. So one of the other gospels tells us. He cuts his ear off and then Jesus is led away. And now we see Peter right back in the courtyard of the high priest. He's following, but he's following from a distance. He, he wants to see what's going to happen to Jesus. We, we're not told that any, any of the other disciples uh, were, were around. We're, we are focusing in here on, on Peter and on Jesus. And that makes sense. You know, we, we said from the beginning that we think this is uh, Peter's eyewitness account uh, that Mark is, is taking down. And just imagine, just imagine interviewing Peter for this very, this very book that he is going to write and to hear Peter talk this way about himself. It would be shocking. But if you find yourself as one who denies Jesus, has denied Jesus, has betrayed Jesus, even by your own sins, by, your, by, by the way you've lived your life, or by your inaction, by, the, by, by not talking about him when you should, if you find yourself like that, you should look to Jesus as your only hope. And now we see him here. As Peter sees him through the eyes of Peter in the courtyard of the high priest, he sees Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Uh, Peter, uh, Mark tells us that, uh, that Peter followed from a distance. He was right in the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. 
And now the chief priests and the whole council, that's the Sanhedrin, probably not the whole Sanhedrin, which is council of 70, 71 or 72, but probably like a quorum of them, you know, enough to, to, to hold a council against Jesus. And now Peter sees Jesus before this council, this religious council who's deliberating what they're going to do with him. And notice this, this one, Jesus, they are seeking testimony against him. And if you're going to find your hope in Jesus, this, this one who identifies with us, how are you going to do that? I'm just going to encourage you through the scriptures to look to him. To look to Jesus. Find him in the scriptures. We find who he is and what he has done. You look to him for who he is and what he has done. And when I say look, I mean, I mean have faith. I mean, behold Jesus in his word as you read about him, even as we read about him this morning, but believe him. Believe what he says and then apply it. It's, you know, it's one thing to, to hear that there is a fire in the Dalles uh, and, and that, that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a fire that it needs you to evacuate right away. It's one thing to hear that when you live in Corvallis. It's another thing to hear that when you live in the danger zone, in the red zone, right? If you, if you hear about this in the red zone, you're going, to, you're going to read or hear about it. You're going to listen to it. You're going to believe it, and then you're going to apply it. If you don't, your house may be burned, and you may be in grave danger. And so I'm encouraging you to look to Jesus, to read about him, to believe him, and then to apply it to your own life. That's what it means. Now look to him, this one they're seeking false testimony against. Did you notice all the times testimony or witness or false testimony was repeated? It's, if, at, at my count, it's seven times. The, wor- the word for testimony, every time this word testimony or witness is used, it's the word martyria in Greek. It's a word for martyr, right? It's the bear witness. It's to bear witness to. That's what a martyr does. He bears witness under extreme temptation, under extreme trials even unto death. And here is Jesus being witnessed against the testimony, the martyria, the the testimony and the false testimony is piling up against Jesus. And here he stands silent. Here he is. They're piling up. They're calling witnesses to the stand and the testimony is piling up and Jesus just remains silent. Who does that? Why does he do that? One of the reasons he does that is because he is, and this is the first thing we see about who he is, is that he is the suffering servant of Isaiah. We've entitled this sermon series, Jesus, the the story of Jesus, the suffering king. Jesus is the king of all the universe, but he's a suffering king. He's come and here he is suffering at the hands of men, at the, at the mouths of false testimony. And here he is, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and appointed with grief. The Psalms talk about this one having false testimony born against him. And yet he bore it all as the will of the father. Here's Jesus, the suffering servant standing before you silent. As a lamb, behold him. He, is, he suffers like a lamb. Before he's a lion of Judah and, and, and breaking change and bringing judgment, here he is before you, friend, as the lamb slain for your sins. And like a lamb before the slaughter is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He's like a sheep before his shearers. He is the suffering servant. Look to Jesus, this one who identifies with you, identifies in your suffering. Even if you suffer for being a Christian, you, you have not suffered like this one. He is the servant who suffers. The God of all creation who made everything by the word of his power comes like a lamb and suffers as a servant for you. He does so without a word. I was thinking about this, like why, why would he do this? 
Just think of yourself in the, in the dock, as it were, right? You're, you're on the stand and, and you're being accused of all these things that you did not do. And one after the other, there's false testimony that doesn't agree. One after the other, and then it comes to you. Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, do you have anything to say for yourself? What do you do? Do you defend yourself? And Jesus stays silent, not giving credence to their false testimony. The suffering servant. Who will die for the sins of others? Who will die under false testimony? And he will die for those sins of those people that he loves. He's not only the suffering servant in 53 through 60, he's, he's also the Messiah. You know, so after all of this, the, the high priest is getting a little bit frustrated and, and uh, uh, the testimony is not agreeing. And according to Deuteronomy and according to Numbers, they, they had to have at least two witnesses and that testimony had to agree. Well, that wasn't happening. So the high priest, Caiaphas, stands up now after Jesus remains silent. And he stands up and again he says, are you the Christ? Just a reminder that Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means Messiah. He's asking him, are you the Messiah, the appointed one? And it was okay for, for uh, just a mere man to call himself Messiah. It was not a big deal. There was lots of anointed ones. Cyrus was an anointed one. There were, there were other anointed people, servants of God. But he goes on to say, are you the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the blessed? Which was shorthand for, are you the son of God? The Jews would not say God's name. They would never have said, are you the son of Yahweh? They said, are you the son of the blessed, the blessed one? Are you the son of God? Now, after all this false testimony and Jesus remains silent, now he gives his answer. The suffering servant, the silent one, now proclaims, I am. And the I am is remind you of that covenant name in Exodus where when, when Moses says, what shall I tell your people? When they asked me who, who sent you, he said, just tell them the I am, the self-existent one, the one who exists by himself. I am. I am that Christ. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, the anointed one. And he was the one that fulfilled all the pictures of what Messiah was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be just anyone. It was supposed to be the son of God, the son of man. And Jesus changes the language to the son of man. He's not denying that he's the son of God. I am the son of God, but I'm also the son of man. His favorite designation for himself. The Son of Man takes us back to the language of Daniel 7, that where the Ancient of Days, he gives power to this one, this Son of Man. And, and Jesus uses that very language. Jesus is quoting Psalm 110.1 in Daniel 7.13. He's combining those into his answer to the high priest. But notice... That the fullest expression of Jesus' person as the Messiah, the Son of God and Son of Man was on the lips of an unbelieving high priest. Peter had said, you are the Christ, Son of the living God. He said, you are the Christ in Mark. But now, on the lips of this unbelieving high priest, Caiaphas, he calls him the Messiah, the Son of God. He actually says... So you say you are the Messiah, the son of the blessed. Jesus says, he doesn't stay silent now. He says, I am. Jesus is, is quoting what Matt read for us before. He is the son of God. The one who will be seated at the right hand of power. This is the place of honor only reserved for the one God has appointed. Jesus says it's him and he's coming with the clouds of heaven he's not he will not only ascend up to heaven and be seated at the right hand of God but he will come again in power to judge the world 
And Jesus, the one who was the true judge of all, is now being judged by sinful man and condemned to death. Jesus is the suffering servant. He is the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. But he's also the great high priest. The other word that is repeated in this section over and over again, at least seven times, is priest. The high priest and chief priest. And I think Mark is trying to draw our attention to these to to the high priest in order us to see the great high priest, the one who identifies with his people. Who are these high priests that that are gathering false testimony? Who are these chief priests that that are gathering false witnesses? They are false priests before God. They are are the evil shepherds. God's people were appointed a priest. That was, the, the priestly duty was to bring man to God. He was the mediator, bringing man to God. Just like Moses uh, stood in between God and man and said, God, do, do not kill this people. And God listened and relented from killing them. Now, Jesus is the great high priest standing here between God and man, showing what a real priest is like. And here he is, not, not shrinking away from his identity and not shrinking away from identifying with his people. Because the Son of Man, if he's going to be seated at the right hand of power and come in the clouds of heaven, he is going to have to die. He's going to have to suffer and die at the hands of the Gentiles. And here he is, the great high priest. He's not only the great high priest, he is the great prophet. You have... The high priest tears his garments after Jesus' witness. Jesus witnesses against himself in their mind. But he's bearing true witness. In, in their mind, he is, he is lying. He is a blasphemer. And this is all they need because they wanted him dead. There's so much irony in this, in this text. He, even though he was, he was true and bearing true witness, the high priests of God's people blasphemed against the true God, saying that he was bearing false witness. And, and unless he bore true witness, and, and unless he became the true prophet, and le, and, unless he did all of these things, we would not be able to be saved. And so Jesus, the great high priest, is also the prophet. They all condemn him, worthy of death. Did you see that in, in verse 64? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death, all of them. And in condemning Jesus, they condemn themselves. And if Jesus doesn't take the, the death and the condemnation, we would be condemned and deserve to die. Some began to spit on him and to cover his face, just as Isaiah the prophet said they would. And to strike him, saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. They're demanding that this, this one prophesy because he had said that he would, he would tear down the temple and, and build it up again. He, if you're such a great prophet, prophesy who hit you, who spit at you, prophesy that. And yet the prophecies were all coming true. Jesus had said in chapter 8, in chapter 9, in chapter 10, that he would have to suffer be handed, he would have to be rejected by the high priest. He would have to be rejected by the scribes and the Sanhedrin and be delivered over to death. This prophecy was coming true. At this very time, Peter is denying him. And Jesus just earlier had said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. All the while, they're mocking him for not being a true prophet. His prophecies are coming true. So look to Jesus. He's the suffering servant in your place. He is the anointed one of God to take the sins of the world, your sins, the sins you committed this week, before you came in here, while you've been listening. He was the anointed one to take all of those on himself. And he was no sinful man. He was the son of God, the self-existent one. But he took on flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as if the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, friends, if he doesn't become our high priest, if he's not a true prophet, all of this is hopeless. And we're lost and dead in our sins. And I want to, I want to exhort you to look to him. You know, some of us came in here thinking that if we come to church, we're going to feel a little bit better. I'm doing the right thing. Uh, I know God wants me to be here, uh, and this will do a little atonement for my sins. Jesus is the only one who can atone for your sins. Your church attendance, your giving to the church, your giving of your time, talent, and treasure. Even, even me as a pastor, I'm giving my life to, to the church. I need a great high priest. And he's standing, for, he's standing before us today. Behold him. Look on him with faith, believe it, and apply it to your life. That sin that you don't think he can forgive. The great high priest can forgive it. He's chosen to identify with you. He's chosen to give himself in in the stead between you and God. You know that image that, you know, Jesus reached between God and man and drew them together. That's the only way we we will have salvation. Because Jesus identified not only with God, but with us. And as he's before the great high priest, he is, he is substituting for us. The great high priest is substituting for us, standing in our place. Friends, I encourage you to look to him. Believe him. Repent of your sins and turn to him, even today. Who he was made him worthy to be condemned. He was the son of God, the son of man. Nothing he did, nothing he, uh, no, no sins he committed because he committed any condemned him to death. He was worthy to die in your place because he was God and man. We not only find our hope in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves in Peter's denial. Verses 66 through 72. Now, this will be a shorter part, and I hope we'll wrap it up and bring it back to the gospel, and then we'll visualize the gospel through baptism. But we must do the hard work of finding ourselves in Peter's denial. And we read it again, and we see it happen three times, just as Jesus said it would happen. Peter's denial came in three stages, and we see it b- below. He's, he's, he's still in the courtyard. And one of the servant girls of the high priest came to him, and they, she sees Peter. You know, I, we don't know exactly if she was there when he cut off the, the, uh, the servant of the high priest's ear. We, we don't know if, if she was there and saw that, but she recognized him. And she said, surely you are one of them. You, you also are with the Nazarene, Jesus. And in Peter, we see ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you will deny Jesus uh, before a court like this. You know, Jesus is for this, the Sanhedrin. He's before the high priest and Peter's only before the little servant girl. And what does he do? He denies any knowledge. He said in verse 68, I neither know or understand what you mean. And, and Mark uses two words for knowledge, the common word for knowledge. And then uh, I, I nor understand is the word epistemi. It's from epistemology. I don't, I don't, he, he's basically saying, I have no knowledge of what you're talking about. It's a, it's a complete enough denial on the first one. And maybe you find yourself in that. Maybe you have never denied him with words, but you've denied him with your actions 
I'm the same way. I've, you know, I'm no better than Peter. I've denied Jesus for less. You know, I'm, I remember working, at, I worked at FedEx for 15 years, and uh, um, while I was working there, um, invited to lots of parties, lots of, uh, lots of uh, drinking parties, and I would never go. Um, and uh, one, of, one of the reasons I wouldn't go was the primary reason was because I, I was a Christian and I, I didn't, I didn't, didn't, I didn't want to do that. I've changed some of my views about, you know, alcohol since then. Uh, and yet, like one of the reasons I was, I was doing it because I wanted to remain a faithful testimony to Jesus. And people would ask, why, you know, why don't you go? Man, and I remember just saying, well, I, you know, it's, it's health stuff. You know, I have addictive personality, blah, 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 blah. It, it was a great opportunity to witness of Jesus. You know, I, I could have said, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with drinking, uh, but I, I don't do it because, uh, because I, I want to live a testimony before Christ. I, I don't want anything to control me because I only want try, Christ to control me. There were so many ways to do it. You know, I could have, I could have even gone with them. I, I could have not gotten drunk. I could have testified to them in their in their drunkenness. And yet I didn't. Now you can, we can quabble whether that's a denial or not. For me, I, I think that I could have spoken of Jesus and so many more times. In fact, one time my wife and I did go to one of their parties and uh, one of the friends who, who was a little drunk said to me, you know, it was cool that you came, but I've noticed there's something different about you. Now, I don't, I don't know if this was God moving on him or the alcohol <laughs> moving on him, uh, but something was happening. And, and, you know, you and this other guy, you, I think I know you're Christians, uh, but you, just, you, you seem to have a sort of joy about you. Uh, you know, who knows? Who, who knows what the Lord will do with that? But in the moment of, 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 of being asked why, you don't do this, or, 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 or what is the hope that lies within you? Do we have an answer prepared? Jesus is drawing us back to, to himself, to look at him, to behold him. And yet, just like us, Peter denies. Right before a servant girl. He's warming himself the second denial is, is uh, less showy. And yet he, she, the, the servant girl is not satisfied with his answer. She says, no, I know you. I, I, know, I know who you are. And Peter had moved out into the gateway. He tried to mo- remove himself from the crowd. Uh, and right after he does that, the rooster crows. And you would, you would think that would have clicked for Peter, but it didn't. And uh, the servant girl sees him again in, in verse 69, and she says, again, saying to the bystanders now, this man is one of them. I know he is. Now, there's lots of reasons why Peter would have denied. You know, I, I wasn't going to get fired for saying I was a Christian at work. Uh, but, but it is very likely that Peter could have been uh, strung up right alongside Jesus. It's very likely he could have lost his own life. So there's lots of reasons. There's fear of man. There's, uh, that he wants to protect himself. Uh, there's also, it could be that he's just disappointed in Jesus. And here he is before the little girl, the bystanders. He says, no, I, I don't, I'm not one of his. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders, now the bystanders are all engaged in this, uh, this mock trial, this, uh, this informal trial of Peter as he's before them. And, and, and will Peter hold up under it? Will he now, will he now not deny Jesus? And, and, and he, they say to him, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And Jesus, Peter, excuse me, in his third denial of Jesus, he brings down a curse. And the translators here say on himself, 
and to swear that he did not know this man. He won't even use his name. I do not know him. Luke tells us that Jesus was just standing by close enough to look at Peter. And friends, even in a full denial like this, I don't have any knowledge of him. I don't want anything to do with that man. I'm not only disappointed with him, I'm afraid and I don't know what's going to happen. In this full denial, he even brings curses down on himself. Instead of identifying with Jesus, instead of identifying with the suffering, Peter fails. We should find ourselves in that. But even as we see this, Peter invoking a curse on himself. We must remember and bring our minds back to Jesus Christ, who, as he stood there on his way to the cross, to Calvary, he would become the curse for us. Peter would call down a curse on himself that he would not be identified even with Jesus. And Jesus, as it were, as the great high priest, identified with Peter, even though Peter didn't identify with him and said, no, I will take the curse for him. Friends, Peter can't even call a curse down on himself. He cannot condemn himself. He cannot damn himself. In John 10, it tells us that You are safe in the Father's hands because you are safe in Jesus' hands because he's safe in the Father's hands. And nobody can pluck you out of his hand. There's nothing, not even anything you can do if you have turned to Christ for your only hope in life and death. There's not even a blasphemy like this that can keep you from Jesus. You must return to him. You must repent and and be restored by Jesus himself. But it is Jesus that takes the curse for you. We see Peter denying, but Jesus identifying. We see Peter calling down a curse on himself, but Jesus taking that curse for him. Friend, as as we come to the baptism in just a moment, when you see our dear brother go under the water, you must remember that Jesus identified with you in death and suffering, but that he did not stay dead. He rose again from the dead, triumphant over the grave. Peter's story is not over. And neither is yours. What have you done? Find yourself in Peter's denial. It's okay. It's uncomfortable. But you need to do it. What sins have you committed? Do you think you've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? Do you, have you denied Jesus in this kind of a way? What have you done? Nothing you have done can keep you from his love. Turn to him. The, only, the, the way to get to his love is through repentance and faith. This is, this is the way, this is the instrument, this is the means that God brings his love to us, repentance and faith. That you, don't, you don't just get it unless you admit yourself, unless you find yourself in Peter's denial. But finding yourself there, look to the great high priest. Look to him. The suffering servant stands there as your great high priest inviting you to find full forgiveness. Thomas Cranmer, March 21st, 1556. Even though he recanted, Bloody Mary was going to burn him anyway. And as he's going to be burned at the stake, Thomas Cranmer puts the hand that signed the recantation up and, and Mary allowed him to preach his last sermon so he could recant again in front of everybody. But instead, he does a, a public repentance of his sins for recanting. And he puts his hand up and he says, This hand that signed the recantation will be the first to be punished. And he shoved it into the fire. 
Cranmer was overwhelmed by the grace of God. Even though he recanted, he returned because of this great God who was punished for him. And even a little fire was not enough to deter him from identifying with Jesus. So brother and sister, no fire is before you. No one's going to burn you at the stake. It might cost you, but I encourage you, turn to Christ. He's everything you wanted and he's everything you need. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would finish this heart, this message in our hearts, that you would apply it to us. Give us faith, O oh God, to see Jesus for who he is. In Christ's name, amen. So now, today, we are going to be observing baptism, not communion, but we still want to give time to, to public uh, confession of sin and assurance of pardon. So I, I'm just going to take some time to pray, confess sin publicly. That's what we do uh, corporately as a people. And then I'm going to give you a time of silence for personal confession. It's a time to, it may be the first time all week, or maybe in years, that you've, had, you've sat silently before God and confessed your sins. It's okay. It's awkward. And it's hard, but it's good. Find yourself in Peter's denial, but find your hope in Jesus. He, he, is, the, he is the only one that can truly forgive you. Not your tears, not, not even your repentance will, will give you forgiveness. Jesus will. So I, I will pray, and then I'll give us time for personal confession. Father, we come to you as a people who have failed you. We've looked to others for our satisfaction. We have feared man more than God. We have tried to hang on to possessions for our security. We have looked to relationships to satisfy. God, we have been unkind with our words. Father, we have disciplined our children too harshly or not enough. We have been in despair when you have told us to hope in you. Father, we... We, we confess these sins to you with hope because we know that you will forgive them because of the work Jesus has done. Standing there, receiving our judgment, in our place, condemned, he stood. So as we confess our personal sins privately, would you meet with us and give us hope in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take a moment of silence for personal confession.